Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. Before you get to the show, make sure you check out theringer.com for our extensive NBA playoff coverage leading up to the NBA Finals. Also look out for a 2019 NBA Draft Guide, which now features 50 of Kevin O'Connor's scouting reports. The Draft Guide has a first-round mock draft, big board rankings from our draft experts like Jonathan Charks and Danny Chow, and much more to come leading up to the draft itself on June 20th. Once again, check out The Ringer's 2019 NBA Draft Guide and all of our NBA coverage over on theringer.com. I'm Sean Fennessy. And I'm Amanda Dobbins. And this is The Big Picture, a conversation show about high school, I think. We're here today, Amanda, to talk about high school in part because the movie Booksmart is coming out on Friday, a movie that we love. In the back half of this show, I have a conversation with five women who made Booksmart. Among them, Olivia Wilde, Caitlin Deaver, Beanie Feldstein, Billy Lord, and the co-screenwriter Katie Silberman. It's a very fun conversation. Before we get to that, Amanda and I are going to talk about our favorite high school movies, what makes a great high school movie, and a little bit to start about Booksmart and why it worked so well. We both saw the movie at South by Southwest in March. I think we both walked out with big, dumb smiles on our faces. It's very difficult to make a teen high school comedy effective, and this one really works. So Caitlin and Beanie are the stars of this movie. They are, you know, we'll loosely uh, associate them as the Jonah Hill and Michael Sarah of super bad kind of formulation. Yeah, there are, there are super bad shades in the premise of this movie. And obviously also Beanie Feldstein is the sister of Jonah Hill. So it's like I walked out and I was like, I want to resist the super bad comparison because I want Beanie to shine on her own. Um, and I think she can just because the performance is so great. And this movie is, it, you know, it's a high school movie. It's an all-in-one night movie. But it, it, the super bad comparison is right there. But also, it is more. It is its own thing. So we don't have to feel anxiety about comparing the two. Beanie's going to get her time in the sun. Yeah, I think sometimes that sort of comparison can detract from the accomplishment yeah. of a movie like Booksmart. In this case, I think it's nice. It's, a, it's kind of a fitting double feature. Seeing them yes. together would be a lot of fun. What did you make of them? Did you? I mean, obviously, you loved Beanie in, in Lady Bird, mm -hmm. and Caitlin Deaver for for Justified fans is was is is, sure. is a wonderful actress. Uh, it's bizarre that she's like twenty five years old now. She was well known to me as like the thirteen year old moonshine slinging drug dealing, I don't know, scamp that, right. <laughs> that Raylan Givens had to keep his eye on. Um, they play two teenagers in Los Angeles, California on the last day of high school, mm -hmm. and they are straight-A students. Yes, they are rule followers. Rule followers. You are a rule follower. Yeah, I, this is—I saw shades of young Amanda in this one because they basically—they make it to the last day of high school, and they find out that all the people who were having fun in high school are still going on to— lead normal lives and that they were basically sold a lie. Not just normal, but highly accomplished. Yes. You know, the dirtbags smoking cigarettes in the bathroom are also going to Harvard or going straight to work for Google. Yeah. And uh, the Beanie Feldstein character has a little bit of Tracy Flick in her, mm -hmm. especially in the beginning, and just kind of loses her mind and, and sets out to rectify everything that they have uh, done wrong in the course of one night. And God bless. It's It, it was close to home for me personally. And, I, and probably for a lot of people. Yeah, I don't know if I was necessarily a rule follower, but I, 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 I tried. I tried hard in mm -hmm. school. And I think anybody who tries hard will recognize that the effort to sort of like break the chains yes. of, of, of consistency can mm -hmm. sometimes be challenging. And, and these two characters have a real challenge. So basically what you get is you this in one night only kind of experience, which is always a very fun execution for a movie. It's sort of the after hours of high school. I feel like it's a little bit darker than super bad. It's a little bit um, more antic. It, it gets a little weird at times in a way that it was fun. I found. Yes. It's weird, but it's never particularly dangerous or I, I think these girls are protected. They're never in situations where they uh, lack agency. They are, they're still very in control. It's a feel good movie even as they're learning things about themselves and how to break the rules, which I is a tricky line to walk. And I really admired it. I never, you never feel bad for them. You never feel like, oh God, I, I mean, you wish certain scenes would go better. There's a certain bathroom scene in particular that I'm thinking of without spoiling it, but um, they're never taken advantage of. They're really in control the whole time, which I think is such a neat trick of this movie. And I really admire the screenwriting and also Olivia Wilde directing it because they're not losers. They're not the girls who have to meet some other standard to fit in in high school or change who they are at all. 
Um, and they're never on, unsh- they never feel bad about themselves or are down on themselves. They're just kind of like, oh, we should go have fun too. And I think that is, it's not that it's empowering. It's just, it is like a slightly different, more confident version of a young woman than you often see in teen movies. And I think that's cool. Yeah, Manuela Lazic reviewed the movie for TheRinger.com. And in her review, she noted that, you know, the movie is oriented around arriving at a big party. The sort of, that's the third, the third act. Mm-hmm. And when they get to the big party, this isn't really spoiling anything. They do pretty well socially. Mm-hmm. You know, people like them. They're actually quite fun and quite interesting and charismatic. And if only they had spend some time trying to do that, they might have had a much more fun time in high school. It's not, You're right that them not being losers is actually an effective way to tell their story. Yeah, and I think also it's not that they didn't have fun in high school, and it's never really degrading what they accomplished in high school or their friendship at all. It's almost just kind of like they're overachievers, and so there's one more thing that they need to achieve before high school is over. And that really does make a difference in terms of the way that they're portrayed and their social confidence and just the way they fit in the the fabric of high school. It is a slightly different picture of high school than I think a lot of the movies we're going to talk about on our list. Everyone is slightly more equal. There aren't really any outcasts in this particular movie that I can remember. It reminded me a little bit of 22 Jump Street, which yeah. was about college, but also had a sort of like a progressive bent to yes. the hierarchy of high school and that in that like the jock and the nerd and, you know, the gay guy and the girl who was really into art were all on the same page. They yes. all sort of coexisted in this ecosystem. It was not this uh, Lord of the Flies-esque experience that you might find in a movie like The Breakfast Club, where it's sort of like, this person is this archetype, and you wouldn't imagine that they could ever speak to one another. It's 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 a level playing field. Yes. Um, so one of the fun things about the movie is that you basically get to go through stages of experience. You meet new characters as they are making an effort to get to this party so there are a lot, there's a big cast of characters here. As with the all good high school ensemble comedies, there are a lot of key players, perhaps none bigger than Billy Lord. For those of you who are not familiar with Billy Lord, uh, she is the daughter of Carrie Fisher and high-powered super agent Brian Lord. And she's a bit of a kook. She's a quite a quite a charismatic, weird person. And she's got a very funny role as I don't know, how would you describe her, like the Donnie from The Big Lebowski or like I mean, again, this is when the super bad thing comes up because she is the McFly. She is McLovin. McLovin. Yes, Sorry, yes. McLovin. <laughs> if only no, she were the McFly. I know, it's different. All the high school movies coming together. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, she is the free spirit. She is the one who doesn't is not even aware of social conventions, much less like above them. And it's pretty remarkable. She's really fun. Yeah. She's quite a character. She sort of uh, works in tandem with an actor named Skylar Gassando, who I have never seen before, who plays kind of the... I don't know, also a sort of try-hard beta male best friend looking for his own identity, looking for love, looking for friendship. Um, what did you what did you make of Skylar? He was he kind of seemed like out of an 80s movie a mm-hmm. little. It yeah. was this movie is very aware of all of he the, was the films ducky. that went before it. Yeah. yeah. And there are references and um bringing in the different tropes and turning them on the head. And that he kind of seemed like this this sad, not this sad, but the the sidekick from a John Hughes movie. Yeah, and there's a, a series of other young actors and actresses, uh, Diana Silvers and Molly Gordon and a handful of other people. And then, because it's a studio comedy in 2019, there has to be a very talented, gifted adults mm-hmm. in very small supporting roles. Among them, Olivia Wilde's fiancé, uh, Jason Sudeikis, who, you know, I just want to point out once again, at the premiere of this movie at South by Southwest, the entire cast came on stage and Jason Sudeikis came out looking like, Jerry Garcia's son, who was wearing a tie-dye shirt. He had long hair. He had a beard. I believe it was a tie-dye cashmere shirt. I read that on GQ later. <laughs> tie-dye which cashmere? Which is like, what a time for men's fashion. But he, anyway. He looked remarkable. It was a it was a look that I could never even attempt to try. Mm-hmm. But I think that's for the best. It is for the best. But he had a, he had a blissful state on his face. He, he seemed very happy. Um, also among that crew, Lisa Kudrow and Will Forte as, be, as Caitlin Deaver's parents. Yes. Um, Jessica Williams as their sort of cool teacher. Sort of, but again, it turns the idea of a cool teacher on its head. Bit complicated. Yeah. Um, Mike O'Brien in a role that I will not spoil, who is very funny in yes. the movie, uh, SNL writer and former cast member. Um, I want to also talk a little bit about Katie Silverman because she's the co-writer of this movie. In conversation that I've had with a handful of people who worked on this movie, mm-hmm. it's evident that when you know there had been a couple of drafts of the story, 
when Katie got her hands on the script and started to rewrite, she added character, she added shape, she added a dynamic. Uh, let's talk a little, what, what, what do you make of Katie Silverman? You're interested in her work. Yeah, I'm a big fan. I think we were just talking a last week about Isn't It Romantic, which is a movie that I caught up on, and I believe Katie Silverman played a similar role on that movie. She's a a fixer. Yes, and I'm a huge fan of Set It Up, which she wrote of her own. She is really savvy, and what I like is that she kind of understands these genres and tropes of the types of movies that we grew up with, and she's obviously, um, I think she's a bit younger than me, but of a similar generation, and knows how to update them and turn things on their head and is kind of evolving this type of modern young female character in a movie that has a lot of confidence and knows what she wants, but that's incidental to the process as opposed to being the main subject of the movie itself, which is just an exciting thing to watch um, because that's not always been the case. But she's funny and also understands... Just how to make a movie that you want to watch. This movie's so watchable and has so many of those like memorable moments. We won't spoil them in this particular movie, but there is a, let's just say there's like a stop motion Mm -hmm. uh, scene that I think Olivia Wilde has talked a lot about that that was kind of her idea. And then Katie Silberman just kind of turned it into something quite memorable. So I'm watching her career. It seems like she kind of knows what is going on for for young female audiences, at least. And I think, you know, that moment that you mentioned and a couple of other moments, there's a couple of visual moments that are sort of, they're very dynamic. They're like, forgive this, but like Scorsese-esque, just the way that Olivia Wilde mm-hmm. shoots scenes, the way that she is drawing attention to the fact, the fact that they're taking this genre as seriously as they are and saying that it demands the same conventions that a historical boxing drama deserves, I thought actually was very effective and fun and helped tell the story better. And, you know, for lack of a better phrase, Movies about women don't often get to do this stuff. Not you know, they're all. not allowed to, or the, the the idea of like a stop motion sequence in the middle of a movie like this is it's not verboten, but like there's an expectation that it has to be a little bit sunnier, a little bit more candy, a little bit you know. And that's yes. there's nothing wrong with that, but it was cool to see someone bust up the idea of what a female led you know high school comedy could be. Yes, I I have a long running bit on the rewatchables about how soundtracks for movies targeted at women are horrible. They are. Off, they just sound like a deodorant commercial, and they really are always kind of the most anodyne, not even the good Top 40 song, because, like, please respect Top 40 in my presence, but, like, the garbage stuff that is filler on the radio gets just filled into these movies because they either, I think it's a little bit they won't spend money, but also they just don't think that having cool music and, it, like, the references and all of the things that you normally affiliate with a, a boy movie matter to female audiences. And this movie has a great soundtrack, which I it think does. is a, like a, a telling, an indicator of the way they are approaching this movie. Yeah, the soundtracks in, those, in these movies sometimes feel market-tested, but not mm-hmm. human-tested. In this case, uh, when I spoke to Olivia, she said that they were just blasting, basically blasting rap the whole time they were the, shooting the movie. The, the set was like, it was. it's funny, it was before the sort of Lizzo blow-up of 2019, and now Lizzo is a significantly more well-known person, though maybe slightly more controversial. Um, we won't talk about that. Check yeah. out check out music podcasts if you want to hear about that. But, uh, you know, she was like, we just played Lizzo like the whole time. It was like Lizzo, Missy Elliott, Run the Jewels. That was just the soundtrack of the shoot. And that is the soundtrack of the movie. And it gives it a kind of propulsive, antic energy that really works. Um, it's an interesting time for this movie to come out for Annapurna. Because Annapurna, of course, is this, you know, mini studio launched by Megan Ellison, Larry Ellison's daughter. And it has been through a fascinating five or six years. I think Annapurna has made maybe three or four of the very best movies of the decade and also has been ensnared in this psychodrama about its failure to create financial successes. And it has gone through a series of management changes over the course of the last six to 12 months. A lot of the people who worked on Booksmart no longer work there, which is a fascinating and tricky thing. I do know just from talking to people in the industry that they're like, we really just want Booksmart to work. Annapurna really wants it to work, but also just people in the industry want it to work because they want to be able to make movies like this because they like movies like this. Yes. And so there is this tension. There's this anxiety about like, can you put a movie like this on 2,500 screens on a Friday and get everybody to go see it? We just had this conversation about Long Shot. This is a slightly different version because it's for teenagers. It's not about politics. It's mm-hmm. not about some woke Brooklyn journalist trying to hook up with Charlize Theron. It's about 17-year-olds. That's true. So there should be a fairly broad audience got that great soundtrack you talked about. It's got appealing young stars. 
I don't know if these kinds of movies can work. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like we're always talking about this. I'm incredibly nervous. It's opening on the Friday of Memorial Day weekend against Aladdin. Yep. Which is tough. Tune into the big picture later this week. Uh, Amanda and I will be reviewing Aladdin. (laughs) We get to see it together. That's going to be the funny thing. There should be cameras on us watching it. But anyway, (laughs) um, Yeah, and the thing about it going against Aladdin is, yes, this is a movie for teenager, but I think this is a movie for people our age and people slightly older taking teenagers. I don't don't know how many 15-year-olds are like, yeah, what I got to do is I got to get someone to take me to to this to Booksmart because I don't think they think about going to movies that way. They just watch them on Netflix. Yeah. So it is kind of you need the slightly older generation making it cool and taking people there. And I don't know whether we alone, our generation has that kind of power at this point. I don't think we like do. with Longshot, we we didn't, even though we very much wanted it to succeed. And I think kind of the parent kid movie that weekend is going to be a lot. And that's what those movies are for. So I'm nervous. I would love for this to succeed. I saw the trailer again a few weeks ago. I was just like, this movie's amazing. It's dynamite. It, it's really so good. And I hope that people make an effort. We've got some distance now from Endgame and Detective Pikachu and John Wick 3. So there's a little bit of an opening here before we get into Godzilla and everything else happening towards the end of this month. We'll see. I mean, we shouldn't overreact to the results of anything like this. I think no matter what happens, this movie is inevitably going to be a kind of, if not a cult classic, like a much beloved movie by the people who actually get a chance to see it. does feel like we're in a cycle now, though, where this keeps happening with Mm -hmm. movies like this. We're like, did you see that? That was so good. I'm like, oh, I didn't see it. Maybe I'll see it on a plane. Like that yeah. is just kind of the conventional conversation around these kinds of movies. So we love Booksmart. Let's talk about high school movies a little bit. Let's mm-hmm. sort of blend these two categories together. You're going to give me your top five. I'm going to give you my top five. But let's talk first just about what makes these movies good because it's probably changed a lot over the years. We're mostly going to focus on, I think, movies from the last 30 to 40 years. If you want to hear us talk about Frederick Wiseman's high school, the 1962 documentary about life in a high school in the middle of the country, go to a different podcast. That's a, that's a good film. I encourage you to watch it. That's not the kind of high school movie that we're talking about here. We're talking about mostly comedies or satires. Yes. Very rarely dramas, though you may have some dramas on your list. Um, occasionally the horror movie, occasional horror movie is often, sure. often a good setting. Sure, yeah. Uh, I think the amount of time that lapses in a movie like this is important. Yes. You know, in Booksmart, it's one day. In Days and Confused, it's basically one night. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. What, what, else is, what else is vital to you in a high school movie? What are you looking for? Well, it needs to... I think successful movies really have a sense of the era. They are of a time, whether... And they are, there is a nostalgia element to it because they, they need to appeal to actual teens who are like, oh, this is cool. And then they need to appeal to adults who are remembering a fonder time and remembering what it was like to be in high school and or what they wish high school that would be like. And so references and music and the clothes and like a, you have to create a certain specificity of an era. Yeah. And sometimes in Days to Confuse, it's the 70s. And for I, I instantly connected to that, even though I right. was not alive in the 70s. And sometimes it's Modern day. Like Super Bad is just a modern day execution mm-hmm. that didn't seem that far from my high school experience, even though it was released probably eight or nine years after I graduated from high school. So right. you're right. That's an that's an interesting, important thing. I feel like maybe the most important thing is the cast. You gotta get the right people. Yes. We were just having an interesting conversation about a certain Game of Thrones cast member oh, who was yeah. cast as a young man. And he's grown up over the years. And the show perhaps struggled in its execution of the final episode because as you said, this young person maybe not as it's, good at acting. Yeah, as he we wanted him to be when he was twelve. Well, maybe he was right for the twelve-year-old part and right not right for the much older part. Um, and then that that's your point of these movies happen with a contained period within a contained period of time. Yes, that's you need you need to cast the person for the moment as opposed to ten years down the the line. But yeah, a cast you need charisma. You need people who are relatable but still have a certain magic that you would want to spend time with them they can't be typical high schoolers because typical high schoolers we were all very sad no shots to high schoolers if you're listening to this you have special qualities but you know yeah they need to be like 21 23 a little older too they need to be a little bit more seasoned but be able to look like they could do high school i tend to grade the directors of movies like this on their ability to spot and discover talent you know john hughes famously 
brilliant at, mm-hmm. at sort of discovering people or platforming people. Richard Linklater has done it over and over again. He keeps mm-hmm. finding people in Days and Confused and everybody wants some. And all of these movies are like, who is that? And then all of a sudden they're the most charismatic person you've ever seen. Right. Um, I guess there's a couple of other things, you know, in some ways, maybe the sort of like the setting and the conflict of the story matters. But for the most part, it's more just like put six cool young 17-year-olds in a room and hopefully good stuff happens. I feel like that is ultimately, if it's a horror movie, if it's a comedy, if it's a drama, you just need like a dynamism among an ensemble, right? Yeah, I think so. Because the actual plot or conflict is pretty much going to be like high school is difficult. And there are different ways to explore that and from different perspectives. And you can also be working towards a different conclusion, whether you want to make everyone feel better about high school and whether you want to mythologize high school or satirize it. But the conflict is, man, high school, what a weird time. Uh, Almost invariably. Yeah, which it is, by the way. It's like, that's fine. Uh, That's a really... We learned last night uh, stories have power, and that's a very powerful story that everyone can connect to. That's the other thing, right? That there's almost no one who had a totally seamless experience through high school. And if they did, then they probably deserve to be a villain in a movie, which they inevitably are. Yeah, they're Patrick Bateman. Yeah. Yeah. So so there is something universal about these stories because everyone has an awkward time when they're a teenager. What would the Amanda Dobbins high school movie be about? Oh, God. Um, I mean, the thing is, is that it's pretty close to Booksmart. I didn't put Booksmart on my top five, but, and I wouldn't say, actually, I did. High school, the night we graduated high school, I, like, finally went to the big party with, like, all of the the football players and all, like, we all went to the same party and got really hammered and we're just, like, bonding around a fire. So I guess it's kind of like that. What a touching story. It was fine. Like, it's not like I've talked to them since. That's the other thing, right? Like, I, you know, if they're listening, hi, hope you're doing well. They're probably not because they all listening. They're not. We could be um, sending such amazing messages to them. They went and did other things of their life. So it was more like a moment in time thing as opposed to. Any specific shout outs you want to send to them right now to say, like, the starting tight end on your high school football team? His name was Rodney Taylor. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. He's not listening to this, but I do actually remember that. And because he, like, I had known him since we were in, like, second grade. And then I I remember him being like, I would never expect you to get drunk, like, at a party. And I was like, well, we graduated high school. Here we are. It's amazing. You and Rob Gronkowski together. Yeah, it's really true. I'm glad we got that on the record. Let's talk about our top fives. Okay. Number five, Amanda, what do you got? Bring it on. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Not a fan of this movie. Go ahead. Really? Well, I think it's fine. I, I... I think it's pretty good. I think it's actually been overstated in the years since, but I'm I'm actually interested to hear you break down what you like about it. So a couple things. Number one, it was released in 2000 when I was in high school. So mm. it is like very of a moment. This is a key part of, we didn't talk about this, sort of like when you see it. Yes. Yeah. But it is also speaking to a direct experience, which I think is important. And there's also, we've been talking a lot about the, the year 1999 and the music and the movies that... Um, came out then, and 20 years later, when you're doing a critical take on it, it tends to be the, like, cool stuff that gets discussed. But in 1999 and 2000, that was the era of Backstreet Boys and Britney Spears and TRL and, like, really mainstream, cheesy teen pop culture as dominant pop culture. And Bring It On is um, an outgrowth of that and also, to some extent, a satirization of that, which I appreciate. Because even at the time, I was just like, wow, cheerleading seems really fucked. Uh, Kirsten Dunst, one of our all-time great evocations of what it means to be a terrible teenager. She's extremely important to me. And I think this is a pretty great performance. And I, how, how many Kirsten Dunst movies are on your list? Is there another one? Not on this list. I, You know, because I don't think Virgin Suicides t- enough takes place in a high school. Okay. The high school aspects of it, I really like, though. I mean, this scene with Josh Harden yeah. walking down the hallway is iconic. What about Crazy Beautiful? You got that on the list? No, it's not on the list. Okay. I mean, it's like... Interview with a vampire? <laughs> that doesn't count. <laughs> I was like, can I put Marie Antoinette on this? Because in many ways, that's a high school oh, movie. Interesting. Yeah. How old was Marie Antoinette when all that business Literally, was like 15, she, 16. She's, oh, really? She's... 15 at the start of that movie. Yeah. I mean, the whole royal is thing that, was really is that fucked historically up. historically Yes, they're really young. Whoa. That's, yeah. Okay, that puts a new shade I mean, on that. Of course, that's why she's just like running around being like, give me macaron towers and let me wear Chuck Taylors or whatever because okay. it's a high school. So it is sort of a high school movie. But I did not put that on my list because even though Versailles has many similarities to high school, 
not, in fact, a high school for the purposes of this conversation. So, Kirsten, that's very important. Finally, I do think the fact that this movie at least tries to engage with some of the class and racial dynamics that are often overlooked in these movies. I Like, I give it some credit. This is talking about cultural appropriation 20 years before that became, or like 15 years before that became a Twitter buzzword. Not that it solves anything, not that you only get credit for trying, but it is at least bringing some of those ideas ahead. That's all. No, it's a, it's a great yeah. case. I shouldn't say I'm not a fan of it. I, I do like the movie. I think it's a classic example of I went to college that year and didn't see that movie. Yeah. And then saw it like 10 years later and I was like, okay, yeah, this is pretty cool. Like, I don't really understand necessarily the cult around it, but if I had gone, if I'd seen it in a theater the year that it was released, sure. maybe I would have a different relationship Can I also to just it. say, so do you know the the cheer that starts it? That's like the nightmare dream. We can play it. Will you perform it I'm full sexy. right here? I'm cute. Oh my God. When popular to boot. I'm bitching. Great hair. The boys all love to stare. I want it. I'm hot. I'm everything or not. Yeah, I can keep going. I can't believe but, that just um, happened. I know all of it. But like the actual cheerleaders at my high school performed this. I don't think they understood totally that it was a joke on them, which also at some point, it you know, it's not really a joke on them. This movie, too, both comments on and glorifies certain aspects of popular girls. But yeah, when it shows up in your actual high school, it has an effect on you. Bring It On is a great segue to my number five, which is Carrie. Is there. Even Carrie White. The girl no one likes. Oh, sorry about this incident, Cassie. It's Carrie! Yeah. Have you seen Carrie? Uh, I've seen, like, the big scene. Okay, so you've not seen the film. No, because, you know, I'm I'm a horror wuss, but I know all the major plot points and I know the major thing. So one thing that I hope you'll do this summer, since you publicly announced that you have conquered your fear of horror horror movies, movies and in fact, horror movies aren't scary, is you'll go back and watch some of the classics. Carrie, I think, is pretty scary, but for the most part, is works in many ways like a great high school movie. It's about it is it is sort of a I'm sure it's an inspiration for Booksmart in some ways. Mm-hmm. Now, Carrie obviously is much more of an outcast. She's much more socially uh, incoherent. She doesn't quite know how to fit in, and she's got this very fraught relationship with her mother and with her sexuality and her femininity, and that informs her relationship with teen girls in the school. But the movie is basically about the torment that happens inside of a high school and particularly at the hands of cheerleaders mm-hmm. who uh, heretofore bring it on were seen largely as sort of like demonic bully figures, you know, are, not, are very rarely the heroes of a story. And, you know, obviously the pig's blood pulled down on her head at the prom is very iconic and the lighting everything on fire and, you know, the showdown with Piper Laurie, her mother character, all that stuff is as wonderful and, and scary and intense and like extraordinarily uh, well-crafted by Brian De Palma, as everyone says it is. All that stuff is true. But just as a high school movie, mm-hmm. the John Travolta character, the Nancy Allen character, the way that they they like subvert, but then also um, make the archetypes of these characters supersized. It's like almost like a silent movie. Like the close-ups are so close and the slow motion is so slow and the music is so loud that it's, it's a, such a ridiculous, over-the-top evocation of what it's like to sometimes, you know, when you've had a bad day in high school and you're just yeah, like, of course. God, everybody hates me and I hate myself and I don't know how to get through this and I don't know how to communicate. I don't really know what I think about myself. Mm-hmm. It's a very smart portrayal of that. And Stephen King's book, of course, does the same thing. But just strictly in the sense of high school, I thought Carrie would be a good entry here. Maybe, it makes sense. Maybe you'll watch Carrie? I will. I, I think also the last scenes definitely communicate all of that. And it's also not, none of those feelings were limited to high school, which is true for most of this, wow. which is, well, sometimes not. Sometimes that, you just have a bad day and everyone hates you. You're you right. Wanna, That's you why burn these it movies down. work. Yeah, because, because you're just, yeah. you can relate to them at all times. What's your number four? My number four is Heather's. Veronica, finally, I got a note of Kurt Kelly's. I need you to forge a hot and horny, but realistically low-key note in Kurt's handwriting. And we'll slip it onto Martha Dumpchuck's lunch tray. Shit, Heather, I don't have anything against Martha Dumpstock. You don't have anything for her either. Okay, I almost put this on my list. Okay. What, 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 give me your case. Uh, well, Heather's is is the movie that, for me, brought all the other movies. Uh, there is a theme of uh, satire and commentary on my list rather than distance from high school rather than embracing high school is one of the major themes, which, you know, you can call my therapist later if you want to talk about it. But- Misanthropic Amanda, <laughs> yes. 
but Heather's is like the the original. You know, it came out in 1988. So for me, all of it's the earliest movie on my list, and it's kind of this movie that one day you're old enough to see, and it's like it's definitely someone older is like, yo, you should check this movie out, and you're kind of like, I I think the first time I saw it, I didn't even really understand everything that was happening because it is so dark and screwed up and certainly would not be made today. And in fact, they tried to make a TV version of it recently and that went not very well because of recent events, real, actual, real-life current events. But I think it informs all of the other movies and informs what a lot of young women who don't really 100% fit in both at high school, but kind of with each other, it does start to lay bare some of the tensions of inter-female female groups and female friendships and how that can uh, be intense and political. So it's this is a place of honor. I think it's a great entry. And I, I know that you guys recently did a Mean Girls Rewatchables episode, mm-hmm. and I like Mean Girls. Mm-hmm. I liked it a lot when it came out. But in some ways... Mean Girls felt unnecessary because Heather's already took the concept to its logical extreme. It already yeah. like busted up the idea of the popular clique and mm-hmm. the, the 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 nasty girls in high school. Like obviously the tones are different; they have different right. goals. But Heather's like really puts yeah. an end cap on it. I'm just gonna go ahead and skip my number three is Mean Girls, and okay. I I have our we've done I've done several podcasts about this, so we don't need to spend too much time. But yes, Heather's sets the stage for it. I think like. Heather's, you can't, I mean, what's your damage is a iconic line that we use all the time. But Mean Girls basically had to make all of these ideas palatable and usable in the mainstream because you can't do that with Heather's anymore. It's too dark and too spiky. And I think Mean Girls came along at just the right moment. And Tina Fey, who wrote it, is very talented in kind of opening up those themes. And it's just kind of the lingua franca of high school and it's certainly on the internet right now because Mean Girls was released just as the internet was really taking off and it was kind of one of the first meme movies. But I think yes. Mean Girls kind of updates and takes the lessons of Heather's and uh, applies, you know, offers them to everyone. If you were going to do a double feature, you'd have to run Mean Girls first and Heather's second yeah. because because of the extremes that Heather's yes. go through. One thing about Heather's that I always liked was um, just this bit of trivia. Daniel Waters, who wrote the movie, Really, really, really wanted Stanley Kubrick to direct it. Mm-hmm. And I, w- I want to see that movie. I want to see the Stanley Kubrick high school movie. Um, I guess maybe Carrie might be the closest we'll ever get to it. Yeah. But uh, that would have been fun. Mean Girls is very good. It's not on my list. Uh, my number four movie is Dazed and Confused. And there you guys were in class trying to list all the Gilligan's Island episodes without even a hint of irony. When the hell are you talking about, girl? You weren't thinking about it, were you? Gilligan's Island? It's what's called a male pornographic fantasy. Oh, my. Think about it. You're basically alone on a deserted island with two readily available women. Which only a number four. Which we've talked about. Now, you know, if I wake up tomorrow, it might be my number one. Yeah, I was going to say. Number two. Uh, I've already talked about kind of what's great about Linklater, the way he finds a cast, the way he sets something in one night. Mm -hmm. The way, you know, in some ways, there is a hierarchy in in Days and Confused and in other ways the character of Randall Pink Floyd I think is a character that a lot of guys wish they could be or in the worst case think they are mm-hmm. where they're like I'm friends with everybody yeah I get along with everybody the stoners the nerds the jocks I'm right in the middle and I think Richard Linklater fancies himself as a bit of a Randall Pink Floyd mm-hmm. and that character even though he's not in every frame of the movie has a uniting sense it's a smart Yes. Plot device to put somebody like that in the movie because then you have a reason to keep bouncing around from figure to figure to figure to figure. That's just one of the ingenious little things that makes that movie work so well. So I just want to point that out. If you're listening to this podcast and you haven't seen Days and Confused, I can't believe you're I mean, alive. Thank you for listening, though. Yeah, yeah, it's like no, it's, it's a great. remarkable choice by you, and we appreciate you. Congratulations. Uh, my number three is Scream. What's the matter, Sydney? You look like you've seen a ghost. <laughs> Why are you? It's all part of the game, Sydney. It's called Guess How I'm Gonna Die! Fuck you! Oh, good one. And I I have also done a rewatchables about Scream. Mm -hmm. It's difficult to not be repeating the same movies we've talked about over and over again. We have our own canon. I have seen Scream. (laughs) I want you to know that. You like Scream. Yeah, of course. You know, Scream doesn't, we don't need to make the case for Scream. Scream is, imagine how radical it was for a young teenage me to see a movie like Scream. 
where I love horror movies, I love teen comedies, I love everything that's meta that is explaining why Mm -hmm. things work. And it's all these things fit together, and each aspect of the movie works well. The meta stuff works well. The comedy works well. The horror works well. It's not, nothing is at the expense of something else. It all fits together seamlessly. Also, finding the right young actors at the right young times in their lives and platforming them in a great way. Scream. It's true. The... The idea of explaining things is like an important through line, which makes sense, right? Because you're a teen and you're still learning about the world and you just want to be understood and to recognize yourself and also have someone help you through the hell that is these years. So things that explain the references, that explain the social systems, that explain even how you feel tend to work in this genre. Can I give you my theory about podcasters? Sure. I think maybe 80 to 90% of podcasters considered themselves or were told explicitly that they were quite precocious when they were teenagers mm-hmm. or, or preteens. Mm-hmm. And these movies, these high school movies, are, are are doorways for precocious teenagers where they're like, yes, you have evoked something, a specific feeling that I have that I haven't quite been able to put my finger on. And there's a reason that podcasters like us yes. are praising these movies at all times. And there's a reason there's a kind of a canon around these kinds of movies. Because there are all sorts of high school movies that we're not talking about. There's like, there's TAPS or there's Project X, you right. know, the, the tonality of these movies is very specific. It's very smart. It's very cutting. Mm-hmm. It's very emotionally informed. Yeah. You know, there's something I, unique yes. here on our list. So what's your number two? Uh, great segue to Lady Bird. There, there you go. Sex in your life. I was on top. Who the fuck is on top their first time? You mean like awareness of how many civilians we've killed since the invasion in Iraq started? Shut so- up. Shut up. Different things can be sad. It's not all war. Says it all. (laughs) Greta Gerwig is a genius. And, you know, this obviously, this is a recent movie, but is set in 2003, 2002, 2003, which Greta Gerwig is, I believe, a year older than me. So this is the nostalgia version of the references. Like, there's still time to catch up. (laughs) (laughs) God. (laughs) Well, now I'm really depressed. Um, but you know, it's like the Dave Matthews song in Lady Bird is hilarious and it's important to identify your own biases and relating to something. But I guess this is the most emotional movie on my list. This is the only one that isn't straight social commentary. And it certainly has aspects of that. But I think this movie just does a great job of isolating both that precociousness that you were talking about, which we might as, you know, let's, let's be honest, but the feeling of disconnect and many of the problems like this, this movie is great about parent, you know, especially mother daughter relationships, which are really tough in high school or they're very tough at some point. Some, for some people it's middle school, for some people it's college, but that's certainly a theme of being a teenager and, does it really beautifully, I think. And and also talks about female friendship in a, I think it's an optimistic view of it, but also an honest and sweet view of it, which you need. You know, I'm not totally heartless. So I I think it's great. Were you more into the Timothy Chalamet types or the Lucas Hedges types growing up? Oh, it was Timothy Chalamet's for sure. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that is an iconic character. Though the Lucas had it's it's really, really good. I don't I don't wanna I have shared too much about my experiences dating uh on this podcast and what we learned about boys and how they're uh, represented in movies, but the Timothy Chalamet character is spot on. The People's History of America, the Howard Zinn is uh that sent a chill down a lot of women's spines. I'll just say that. Uh it was a, a moment of uh, <laughs> dark self-realization for me. <laughs> I can confirm that that was definitely something that I read in high school yeah. of my own discovery sure. and yeah. felt like I had I, solved society. Me. It's fine. We were all it's there tough. together. It's yeah. tough. Uh, Greta Gerwig is a genius. Yeah. My number two is m- maybe against my own better judgment, Rushmore. What's the secret, Max? The secret? Yeah, well, you seem to have it pretty figured out. Secret? I don't know. I think you just got to find something you love to do and then do it for the rest of your life. For me, it's going to Rushmore. Rushmore, I think, maybe Mm -hmm. is a bit like the bring it on thing for you, which is when you see it, you see it at the right time. You see it at the age when you are most open to that sort of thing. And over time, I have come to understand what Wes Anderson does, who he borrows from, how he built his style. I understand the mechanics 
of how movies work in a much more coherent way. At the time, I was like, holy shit, you can do this. It was, it, it seems silly to say that, but in some respects, it was probably what it was like to be 13 and to see Mean Streets when Mean Streets came out. Now, not 23 and see Mean Streets and not 23 and see Rushmore, but to see 13 sure. and to see Rushmore and be like, what is this music? What is the way this movie is framed? Why are these people talking like this? I didn't know you could act this way. Is this ironic or is this sincere? It was like a sensory confusion. And so it, it inevitably has sort of logged itself inside my head. I think Wes Anderson has made much better movies since mm-hmm. this movie came out. I think all the actors have made better movies. I think this movie's probably come to be way overrated in the canon of good movies. But it has like a very personal connection for me. And I can't, I can't get, I can't deny that about myself. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's a lot of people's first Wes Anderson movie. Right. I think a lot of people our age and who are interested in movies kind of found this early and it taught us how to look at things. And like you said, when you're in high school and when you're young, you are looking for someone to show you the way. You're looking for explanations and text, things that you can study and overanalyze. And it's it's certainly that. It is certainly that. What's your number one? My number one is Clueless. Share two minutes. So, okay. Like right now, for example, the Hadians need to come to America. But some people are all, what about the strain on our resources? But it's like, when I had this garden party for my father's birthday, right? I said RSVP because it was a sit-down dinner. But people came that, like, did not RSVP. So I was, like, totally bugging. Which I is, had a feeling. Which is predictable, but it is important, to be honest, as all of these movies teach us. You have to be true to yourself. Uh, Clueless is one of those. I have a very vivid memory. I saw it at Lenox Mall with my mother. Because uh, I, I think I was too young. My mother had to take me. And I, it's the same as Rushmore. I'm just kind of like, wow, movies can be like this. Um, and I, you know, was trying to understand my relationship to the main character who is, the movie is both making fun of her and very much likes her. Did you want to be Cher? I mean, I definitely wanted the fashion closet mm-hmm. with the touchscreen where you can pick all of the things. Yeah, I think you do want to be Cher, especially when you're young. And it's one of those things where when you're really, when you're very young, you never pick up on satire, right? And the best high school movies have a layer where you can just watch it and think, oh, I want to be that. Or that seems that seems like something I want to know more about. And then you kind of, by watching it a bunch of times, pick up the the humor. Hopefully, hopefully, you pick up the humor and the layers as the years go on, which I hope I did. I think also teenagers are so dumb. I, they're not. They're trying so hard and they're precocious. But I think I liked the fact that this was a movie of that there is you're not so, you can't know everything and that there are things to learn. It That is very reassuring in a way. Um, while also maybe you watch and you think, well, at least I am not as dumb as that person. But I, I th- there is something about that character and the naivete and the trying to learn about the world that I think speaks to a certain young moment. I like Clueless a lot. One of the things I like about Clueless is it's authentically funny. Mm-hmm. It's a real comedy. It's not, it has a lot to say. It's very sophisticated. You're right that the satire is there. There are certain, there are dramatic elements that work mm-hmm. really well in the movie. It has a bit of a Games of Thrones scene kind of plot arc yes. with this who she ends up with, which yes. is notable. Um, uh, my number one is also very funny. It's called Superbad. Um, we talked about Superbad at the top yeah. of this show. I don't know if a movie has more accurately conveyed what it means to be unsure of yourself. <laughs> and that's obviously a key aspect of high school as well. Not just like I've had a bad day and I'm confused, but not knowing how to do anything, I find to be a difficult thing to translate on screen. Um, let's play a clip from Superbad. <laughs> I don't see the harm in bringing one little condom. And one little bottle of spermicidal lube? Yeah, one little bottle of spermicidal lube. Evan, that's psycho shit, man. It's not. It's like Charles Manson shit. What do you think Becca's gonna be psyched that you brought a bottle of lube? Obviously, the dynamic between Michael Sarah and Jonah Hill in the movie is incredible, much like the dynamic between Caitlin Deaver and Beanie Feldstein. And Booksmart is really great. That's a huge part of it. But there's something also similarly lived in, even though it's absurd, between Evan Goldberg and Seth Rogen, who wrote the movie and who had been working on the movie since they were 16, had been started writing the movie when they were 16, that feels earned, which seems like a... That's the kind of word we use to describe things like Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. where, like, did the plot really get to the point where it needs to be? But right. 
if you don't really feel like you're with people that you want to be around or whose struggles you're trying to understand, then the movies don't work, you know? Like, it's the same thing with Lady Bird. Like, yeah. it, it, Lady Bird, with a different director or a different writing style, could have come off as, like, a stuck-up brat. And yeah. somehow, you're like, ah, oh, I, I love this person. I connect with this person. I understand this person. Now, jo- you know, Jonah Hill's character um, is, like, ridiculous and, like, pretty gross <laughs> and silly. I don't know that I necessarily, like, relate to everything he does, but the actual perils of what they're feeling, I totally got that. Plus, it's the funniest fucking movie that you can it see. It is very funny. And so that's my number one. Any any runners up that you want to hit on before? We didn't name one John Hughes movie. That's true. And I th- Is that because it was too obvious, you think? Well, maybe. And I think it might also be that we are three to five years too young. Could be. I definitely, I mean... I dig those movies, though. They're great. Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink are both kind of... We had to watch Breakfast Club in high school. Like, they literally wheeled it in and just were like, here's an important thing for you guys to learn about how to be in the world. Just like an English class. What? I I know. But so I think that's why, because the John Hughes movies were presented to me already as canon. And part of this is discovering your own canon and feeling like you are finding things for the first time. That Rushmore feeling, even if... A million other people are like, oh, yeah, we know this is really good. And John Hughes was already discovered for me, I suppose. That makes sense. What about the Cameron Crowe oeuvre, the Fast Times? He just wrote that screenplay, but yeah, or, yeah. Uh, or Say Anything. Great movies. I definitely, I, it will not escape anyone that all of my movies center on women, which, or young women, which is just kind of, that's what I relate to. Not me. Yeah, Carrie. that's true. You you the contain multitudes. The star of Carrie. It's true. I, all of those movies are great, but I just, when I am, when I was picking what I connected to, I it was, and there are also movies, I, I do think that the social dynamics among a group of girls at that age are very different from the social, no less complex. That's a good point. But they, it, it's, I was drawn to the satires and the things that are kind of helped me understand and navigate like the Game of Thrones that is being a teenage girl. And I think boys have a different set of experiences. So you can't relate as much to them. Yeah, there's a few more sort of like high tone films that I think would be interesting conversation points. I almost put American Graffiti on my list. I almost put The Last Picture Show on my list. The Last Picture Show would be in my top 10 movies ever made. Sure. But maybe not in this formulation because I see it a little differently from what a high school movie is, quote unquote. I don't know if we're ever even in a high school in The Last Picture Show. Um, I remember. I love Brick. Have you seen Brick? No. Ryan Johnson's uh, second film? No. Oh, it's it's dynamic. It's really, really good. It's a noir movie set inside of a high school. For those of you who haven't seen Brick, got to check that out. It's great. It's Joseph Gordon-Levitt as the star. Um, I had a couple honorable mentions, which yeah. I, I didn't put election on this list because it was on my 1999 list, as was 10 Things I Hate About You, which I think are two great high school movies. Election is like kind of, election is in many ways my Rushmore mm-hmm. in terms of a complicated character that you were like, oh, I didn't know that you could be like that or Did talk you have like a that. button maker in high school? No, but uh, the last time we did a podcast about this, Chris also made a joke about me and a button maker. And like, I am aware that there is some Tracy Flick in me. Um, (laughs) I don't need to be told that by my closest friends in public every single time we talk about this. Fair enough. You brought up election. I did. And it's fine. Again, this is about understanding yourself. The other one that I, to go on the other end of the spectrum, uh, 21 Jump Street, the remake. Yeah. Really funny. Really good. Yeah. It's it's not on my list, but I think it is really funny, and it, it also does a to that meta quality of commenting on our understanding of high school movies. Can and, I give you a high school movie recommendation yeah. related to Twenty One Jump Street? Sure. It's called Spider Man Into the Spider Verse. I knew that you were going to say that from the creators yeah, of Twenty One yeah, yeah. Jump Street. Right. Lord Just and Miller comes hire, into hire the Spider Verse, and I'll watch it. Hire Channing Tatum, put real Channing Tatum on the screen, and the man is in. That's it. That's what it takes. If only Amanda would watch Into the Spider-Verse. Amanda, thanks for chatting about high school and bearing your soul. Anytime. We'll see you later this week when we talk probably about childhood once again (laughs) with Aladdin. (laughs) Thanks again to Amanda Dobbins for opening up her slam book and chatting with me about high school movies. Now let's go to my conversation with Olivia Wilde, Beanie Feldstein, Caitlin Deaver, Billy Lord, and Katie Silverman from South by Southwest. I am joined by the largest collection of people that I have ever interviewed in my life. I'm going to go around the table and introduce all of you guys. I'm here with Beanie Feldstein. Beanie, hello. Hi. Screenwriter Katie Silberman. Hi. Billy Lord. Praise be. Director Olivia Wilde. Hello. And Caitlin Deaver. Present. 
Guys, how's it going? So good. Strong. Great. South by Southwest is wonderful. Uh, Katie, I'm going to start with you since you're the screenwriter. Where did this movie come from? Where did it come from in your brain? Yeah, I'm one of uh, four screenwriters, so I came on to the process, and the general concept had been established by a lot of really talented writers before me. Um, and it was really fun to come on and develop it with Olivia, who brought so many ideas, because we wanted to tell a story about smart girls who were more than just smart girls. And I think in a lot of these stories, if the characters start out as nerdy or smart, that's really their most defining characteristic. And everyone here is so brilliant, but also cool and very specific in different ways. And that's kind of the impetus for how we started wanting to tell a different kind of high school movie. And so that was really exciting to be able to dive in in that way. Olivia, what about you? Why is this your debut as a director? Well, I think, you know, movies in this vein are part of why I wanted to make movies and be a part of this art form. You know, I grew up watching Breakfast Club and Dazed and Confused and Clueless and so many more movies that seemed sort of like generational anthems and they helped me get through a lot of difficult parts of my adolescence and then even now I look back nostalgically on that time and realize how much those movies helped me and it, it's it's important to kind of help people contextualize life I feel like that's part of what we do as storytellers and I think showing people going through difficult things is essential to help them handle their own lives and I I really wanted to kind of go back to that part of my life as a film watcher and make something that I think I would have really benefited from. And movies have evolved in a lot of ways. You know, it is no secret that films are predominantly male-driven, that very few women are in the same film. And if they are, it is remarkable if they have names and speak to one another. In fact, there's an entire test named after that, and very few films pass the Bechdel test. So... We wanted to raise standards, and I wanted to make a film that would have really transformed my perspective on life had I seen this as a, as a young woman, and even as a woman now, frankly. I feel like these movies that you're talking about kind of live and fully die. Fully crying, sorry. <laughs> I think this interview no, is over now. I was fully sobbing. I feel like these movies, <clears throat> excuse me, it's really, it's obvious that you guys um, get along very well. And it's, I feel like they live and die based on the chemistry. Like the Breakfast Club doesn't work if those 100%. six people don't yeah. click. Yes. So did you guys all know each other before you started working together? Well, Billy and I went to high school together. Wow. But yes. we never spoke. <laughs> And in high school, that like matters in yes. a way that in life you wouldn't even know someone's like they're generally in their twenties, but you would never know like their exact class year. But we didn't. Or we've been to a pretty big school, but we didn't interact. But um, I, Caitlin, and I had never met until you we never were, met. I'll never forget the moment you guys met. <laughs> they hugged sounds. for five minutes straight. <laughs> wow. They held hands through the whole lunch. <laughs> I was like, we, we have struck <laughs> gold. That's and. They were really interested in committing fully to building this friendship and wanted to live together through production, which they did. Yeah, we lived How together in West Hollywood. Cozy, baby. cozy, baby. <laughs> wow. How long was the shoot? How many? How much time are you spending together then? Um, the shoot was twenty six days yeah, shoot. Days but shoot. you guys were living together in pre production. Like, yeah, because well. I came yeah. back to LA. I live in New York, but I came back to LA for like um, five weeks before yeah. we started. So we were there for we were together for a long time, and it was amazing. Not only because we talked to each other the whole film, so we would run lines constantly yeah, over really pancakes all the time. But also just we would wake up and we would be together and it was so cozy and felt so like, I don't know, just there's a different energy that you get when you live with someone and you know like the whole ins and outs of their day. And we were also together all day. So it was just this beautiful symbiotic thing of like going home together and just having that like decompression time after work and then on the way to work. Um it was just really special. Yeah, it really made all the difference, I think, for our chemistry. I mean, we fell in love the day we met, obviously. But um, it was really nice to be able to, like, we were doing night shoots for this pretty much the whole movie. And so it was really nice to just, like, we were on go our own home. time zone. Like, being, like, go home from work at 6 a.m. And then just, like, fall asleep together and then wake up at, like, 1 p.m. to eat pancakes yeah. together. It was very fun. It's like bartending. Yeah. yeah. I, I firmly believe you can't fake chemistry like they brought to the film. I think um, there's no shortcuts to that. And, and these were all actors who wanted to do the homework. And quite literally, I mean, we had a no sides on set rule. And I asked everyone to be off book. And everyone rose to the occasion. Everyone was so professional, so energetic. Those long nights were no joke. Um, I remember asking Billy to improvise a scene at 4 a.m. 
Maybe 5.30. Maybe 5.30. The sun was it's coming up. one of my favorite <laughs> moments in the film. And it was only because of her complete openness and professionalism that we were able to capture that moment. But that's really rare. And we were so lucky to have this cast that we're showing up in every sense of the, of the phrase. How much improvising were you guys doing on the set? You know, it's interesting. We didn't have it. It wasn't like fully improvised, but Billy did a lot of improv. (laughs) Sorry. Billy said whatever she wanted. We were specific about when to use it. And we made changes on set, but but, uh, as a group. Like there was was a very very fluid process that way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and we, you know, I, I, one of the most valuable lessons I've learned from being an actor is it's really helpful when a director speaks to you in terms of your own experience and training. So I recognize that all of our incredible ensemble came from very different backgrounds in terms of acting. So, you know, for instance, one of our actresses, Victoria Ruesca, she had never been in a film before. So we found that for her, improvising was really helpful and, and, and encouraging her to find her own way into the scene was always the best process. And she gave us gold. But it was, it was up to me. It was my job to identify everyone's kind of com- comfortable process and then approach it in that way. Some of these Actors have been working since they were children. Some of them are classically trained and some are totally new to the process. And that was so fun to kind of go through their process with them and to be sort of specific um, rather than saying, all of you do it this way, because that, that's not really helpful. I also felt like it really depended on the scene because for, for Caitlin and I, our characters are just ridiculously brilliant. So for a lot of it, it was like you want it to have that sharpness to it because that is how quickly their minds work. Yes. So we didn't improv as much in those scenes where the back and forth had to be that quick and that specific. But then when the moments where we're more like messing around and like kind of the moments where we're getting ready for the party and stuff like that were a little bit looser. So I feel like it just depended on on the scene that we That's were That's such doing. a good point. Yeah, some of those scenes had to be so sharp and were so, written so tightly intentionally to create this certain rhythm between the characters. And Olivia also really created a dynamic on set that could evolve with the chemistry of the scenario, the location, the actors, the timing, and all of that. And that was really fun to be able to adjust to throughout because she had such a clear vision of what everything was that there was room to play within that. And it was really fun. Did you have like a, I don't know, a, like a cheat sheet before you started making the movie and said like, watch these movies and, and we're going to talk about them? Or did you just go in blind and say, we're going to make our well, own Well, we all went and thing. watched Fast Times together, oh, nice. which was really nice. awesome. It was it was a really fun thing. And I, I want to do that for every movie I ever have anything to do with because we're different film than Fast Times. But something that's so extraordinary about that film is that each character in that ensemble is fully formed. Everyone, no matter how few minutes they're on screen has made a choice. And that's why it stands the test of time. That's why it feels so um, nuanced and, and, and interesting. So that was great because I think it, it encouraged everyone in the cast to think of themselves as being essential as opposed to like, well, I have a small role. I'm not going to really do that much. I'm that's just going to so show true. up. They were like, wow, look how that person scored with yeah. one scene. I want to do that. Um, it also, that film has such a specific vibe. There is a, a, a an energy created that... Um, that I think is really kind of incredible. I think it's another reason it's such a, a, an a outstanding display of filmmaking. And I, I think uh, that inspired everybody to kind of get on the same wavelength. We used music a lot for that too. We played a lot of music on set to kind of get everybody into the same rhythm. What was on the mixtape? It was a lot of hip hop. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because the film now I'd say is evenly split between hip hop and sort of like alt rock and yeah. some classic rock. But I, but we listened to a lot of hip hop, a lot of like Lizzo, a lot of like lady hip hop, and then some hardcore male hip hop too. There's a lot of Kendrick playing on our set. Um, but I think, I think that it, it's you know it it's not dissimilar to to dance. You have to create an energy and a rhythm. You can't ask a huge group of people to come together, coming from all different places with all the different energy of their days, and ask them to be in sync. That's a really difficult thing to do. And on film sets, there's not a, there's no like group warm up. You know, everyone kind of gets there and it's hectic and then suddenly it's really quiet and action, go, create perfect synchronicity. I think that's impossible. I think we have to approach it more like theater. I think the idea of like, let's come together, let's get on the same page, let's get in the same rhythm and then, oh, look at that, now we're warm, now we can get somewhere. Um, I think that leads to the best results. As actors, did you guys bring personal school experiences into the movie? Katie raised her hand. Yeah, I'll go first. <laughs> okay. um, well, what was really funny for me is that my 
character Molly hates the theater kids. Um, and I was like the definition of that in high school. So uh, Noah Galvin, who geniusly portrays like the oh head of the theater crew, the best human oh, being in the world. And oh, him and I are dear friends. And so it was really funny because I was just like, you know, we were nose to nose. A lot of the a lot of the film kind of like me just dissing theater as an art <laughs> form, which was really, really funny. So I was definitely, I would have been in his crowd <laughs> um, in high school. But I also, I went through kind of an interesting relationship with academics personally. And I kind of, Billy and I went to a really, really, really tough high school that was like, you know, kind of the, if my character was every single student at the high school. Um, so I feel like I had a sort of an up and down relationship to it. I wasn't as um, dedicated constantly as Molly was. I feel like I found more of my Molly stride in college when I could sort of choose my own academic trajectory. And then I became sort of intense like she is. Um, so yeah, I would say, but Liv and I had very similar high school experiences. And when we first met, I remember being like, you can take the girls out of those schools, but you can't take those schools out of the girls. And like, we had such a, we really connected in that way of like that intense pressure cooker that I think Molly and Amy put on themselves or maybe sometimes Molly puts on Amy. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like, well, uh, my high school experience was a little different. I was like partly homeschooled and in public school, it was kind of like an independent studies thing. So my high school experience was very different, I would say from a normal one, but I feel like I just connected with Amy from the start that I didn't I I don't know I just felt like I and Olivia's direction just like really helped me with everything I don't know it was just like very very easy and being with Beanie every day it was just I didn't really need much it was just already so there anyway I also feel like like your friend I'm still best friends with my friends from high school and so from that perspective it was like I have my Amy and in fact my Amy is in the film her name is Molly it was just like this crazy experience but I feel like that you know the, the aspect of like female friendship being just so that like intensely important to young women and especially in high school and especially at that time of transition from high school to college that I connected with so deeply and just being able to look at Caitlin constantly and just be like we're in this together like no matter what else is happening like we got each other's back so in that way well, uh, my character Gigi is basically my id. So, um, I connected to her deeply on like a super deep level that I didn't even know existed. So that was amazing to do. And she was kind of like what people saw me as in high school. I got voted most edgy and most likely to be on the cover of a tabloid. Thanks everyone at Harvard Westlake. That was very nice. Yeah, guys, it wasn't in her grade. Like, I did not my life. Like, thanks guys. But anyway, Gigi's basically that. Really, I was kind of more like Molly and Amy and super into school, really into my grades. And then on the weekends would be a little bit more Gigi. But I guess Gigi is my id and what people thought I was. But also what I love— Because I went to Coachella or something. I don't know. (laughs) But what I I love about our film is that, like, Gigi and Jared, who's uh, Gigi's best friend in the film, they—so many of the characters in the films we see, which is so interesting, the smartest girls see as stereotypes in our heads. Like, we project this vision of— who we think they are onto them. And then I think the whole film is an unraveling of that. So what I love about Gigi is that Jared, who's her best friend, kind of like fleshes her out for my character Molly and gives her like this beautiful fullness that I feel like in other films you just wouldn't get that. So I feel like every every character in this film, we kind of, Caitlin and I are like the nerdy girls and the crazy girl and blah, blah, blah. And then as the film goes on, we realize specifically Molly realizes that like she's been so wrong about them the whole time and like look at how full and yeah no one's what they, they appear yeah, to be exactly. don't judge a book by its cover if, y'all if we, say that, if we yeah. could have ask for <sighs> any reaction to the film it would be I think that people leave and they want to see people a little more fairly deeply clearly I want people to feel seen and to really encourage people to see others. I, like Billy, was misunderstood in high school. People thought I was super wild. I was not. I went to a boarding school. It was really nerdy. I cared deeply about academics. I felt, you know, that was my priority. But but based on some arbitrary sort of judgment, I was stereotyped. And it's something that follows us through society. I think, you know, as women grow up, they internalize the judgment of others and struggle with that. And hopefully you get to a place in your later stages of maturity where you kind of shed all of that and be whoever you want to be. But I want people to do that at a younger age. I want people 
in their adolescence to realize it doesn't matter how people judge you, you're exactly who you feel you are, and maybe perhaps look deeply a little more closely at the people around you. So we wanted the audience to judge these characters unfairly at the beginning, as our two leads do, and then by the end think, man, was I wrong. Gigi's like the most loving, loyal person. Molly is so much more than just like a super intense, smart girl. Amy is not a coward. Uh, Jared is not just superficial. Alan is not just a theater guy. All these people, George has more to him. All these people. So it was like my, my you know, very personal expression of, of um, desire for people to break out of stereotypes and to stop judging others. Beanie, Katie, I'm Billy, not most edgy. Olivia, <laughs> Caitlin, thank you guys for doing thank this. You thank so you much. so much. Thank you. Thank you again to Amanda Dobbins, Caitlin Deaver, Beanie Feldstein, Olivia Wilde, Katie Silverman, and Billy Lord. Please tune in later this week to The Big Picture, where Amanda and I are going to be breaking down the Disney film directed by Guy Ritchie, Aladdin. <laughs>